Chapter 22, The Diamond Ring and the Railway Clearing House of the Iron Horse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Sarai. The Iron Horse by Robert Michael Ballantyne. Chapter 22, The Diamond Ring and the Railway Clearing House. Let us turn now for a brief space to Edwin Gurwood. He is seated before a desk in one of the rooms of that large building in Seymour Street, Euston Square, London, where a perfect army of clerks, about a thousand, clear up many of the mysteries and overcome a number of the difficulties incident to the railway traffic of the kingdom. At the particular time we write of, Edwin was frowning very hard at a business book and thinking of Emma Lee. The cause of his frown, no doubt, was owing to the conflict between duty and inclination that happened to rage in his bosom just then. His time belonged to the railways of the United Kingdom, to Emma belonged his heart. The latter was absent without leave, and the mind, thus basely forsaken, became distracted and refused to make good use of time. That day, Edwin met with a coincidence. He made what he believed to be a discovery, and almost at the same moment received an inquiry as to the subject of that discovery. While endeavoring, without much success, to fix his attention on a case of lost luggage which it was his duty to investigate, and frowning, as we have said, at the business book, his eye was suddenly arrested by the name of Derby. Derby, he muttered. Surely that name is familiar. Derby. Why, yes, that's the name of Tip's old nurse. Reading on, he found that the name of Derby was connected with a diamond ring. Well, now, that is strange, he muttered to himself. At the first glance, I thought this must be the brown paper parcel that I made inquiry about at the station of the Grand National Trunk Railway long ago. But the diamond ring puts that out of the question. No nurse in her senses would travel with a diamond ring tied up in a brown paper parcel the size of her head. We may remind the reader here that when the brown paper parcel was found and carried to the lost luggage office of one of our western railways, a note of its valuable contents was sent to the clearinghouse in London. This was recorded in a book. As all inquiries after lost property wheresoever made throughout the kingdom are also forwarded to the clearinghouse. It follows that the notes of losses and notes of inquiries meet, and thus the lost and the losers are brought together and reunited with a facility that would be impracticable without such a central agency. In the case of our diamond ring, however, no proper inquiry had been made. Consequently, there was only the loss recorded on the books of the clearinghouse. While Edwin was pondering this matter, 
A note was put into his hands by a junior clerk. It contained an inquiry after a diamond ring which had been wrapped up in a large brown paper parcel with the name Derby written on it in pencil and was lost many months before between Clatterby and London. The note further set forth that the ring was the property of Mrs. Tipps of Eden Villa and enclosed from that lady a minute description of the ring. It was signed James Noble M.D. Wonderful, exclaimed Edwin. The most singular coincidence I ever experienced. Having thus delivered himself, he took the necessary steps to have the ring sent to London and obtained leave, being an intimate friend of the Tips family, to run down by train and deliver it. While he is away on this errand, we will take the opportunity of mounting his stool and jotting down a few particulars about the clearinghouse, which are worth knowing, for that establishment is not only an invaluable means of effecting such happy reunions of the lost and the losers as we have referred to, but is in many other ways one of the most important institutions of the kingdom. The railway clearinghouse is so named, we presume, because it clears up railway accounts that would but for its intervention become inextricably confused and because it enables all the different lines in the country to interchange facilities for through booking traffic and clears up their respective accounts in reference to the same. Something of the use and value of the clearinghouse may be shown at a glance by explaining that before the great schemes of amalgamation, which have now been carried out, each railway company booked passengers and goods only as far as its own rails went. And at this point, fresh tickets had to be taken out and carriages changed with all the disagreeable accompaniments and delays of shifting luggage, etc. Before through booking was introduced, a traveler between London and Inverness was compelled to renew his ticket and change luggage four times between Darlington and Cardiff, six times. In some journeys, no fewer than nine or ten changes were necessary. This, as traffic increased, of course, became intolerable. It is quite certain that the present extent of passenger and goods traffic could never have been attained if the old system had continued. It was felt to be absolutely necessary that not only passengers but carriages and goods must be passed over as many lines as possible at straight through to their destinations with no needless delays and without breaking bulk. But how was this to be accomplished? There were difficulties in the way of through booking which do not appear at first sight. When, for instance, a traveler goes from London to Edinburgh by the East Coast route, he passes over three different railways of unequal length or mileage. The Great Northern furnishes his ticket and gives him station accommodation besides providing his carriage, 
while the Northeastern and North British permit him to run over their lines. And the latter also furnishes station accommodation and collects his ticket. To ascertain precisely how much of that traveler's fare is due to each company involves a careful and nice calculation. Besides this, the whole fare is paid to the Great Northern, and it would be unjust to expect that that company should be saddled with the trouble of making the calculation and the expense of remitting its share to each of the other companies. So too with goods, one company furnishing the wagon and tarpaulin, besides undertaking the trouble of loading and furnishing station accommodation and the use of its line, while it may be several other companies give the use of their lines only and that to a variable extent. In addition to all this, the company providing its carriage or wagons is entitled to demurrage. For every day beyond a certain time that these are detained by the companies to which they do not belong. Now, if all this be unavoidable, even in the case of a single fare or a small parcel, it must be self-evident that in lines where the interchange of through traffic is great and constant, it would have been all but impossible for the railway companies to manage their business and the system would have given rise to endless disputes. In order to settle accounts of this description, it was soon seen to be absolutely necessary that some sort of arrangement must be come to, and, accordingly, the idea of a central office was conceived, and a system established without delay, which for minute detail and comprehensive grasp is unrivaled by any other institution. At first only a few of the railway companies united in establishing the clearinghouse in 1842, but by degrees as its immense value became known, other companies joined, and it now embraces all the leading companies in the kingdom. It is said to be not inferior to the war office, colonial office, an admiralty in regard to the amount of work it gets through in a year. Its accounts amount to some 12 millions sterling, yet they always must and do balance to a fraction of a farthing. There must never be a surplus and never a deficiency in its funds, for it can make no profits being simply a thoroughly honest and disinterested and perfectly correct go-between which adjusts the mutual obligations of railways in a quick and economical manner. Its accounts are balanced every month, and every pound, shilling, and penny can be accounted for. It annually receives and dispenses a revenue greater than that of many European kingdoms. In 1847, its gross receipts were only 793,701 pounds. In 1868, they had risen to above 11 millions. Each line connected with the clearinghouse has a representative on the committee to look after its interests, 
and bears its proportion of the expenses of the establishment. Before showing the manner in which the work is performed for the railway companies, it may be well to premise that one great good which the clearinghouse system does to the public is to enable them to travel everywhere with as much facility as if there were only one railway and one company in the kingdom. To avoid going into too much detail, we may say briefly that in regard to goods, statements of through traffic dispatched are sent daily from thousands of stations to the clearinghouse, also separate statements of through traffic received. These are compared. Of those that are found to agree, each company is debited or credited as the case may be, with the proportion due to or by it. Where discrepancies occur, correspondence ensues until the thing is cleared up, and then the distribution to the accounts of the several companies takes place. As discrepancies are numerous and constant, correspondence is necessarily great. So minutely correct and particular are they at the clearinghouse that a shilling is sometimes divided between four companies. Even a penny is deemed worthy of being debited to one company and credited to another. As it is with goods, so is it with passengers. Through tickets are sent from all the stations to the clearinghouse where they are examined and compared with the returns of the tickets issued and then sent back to their respective companies. As these tickets amount to many thousands a day, some idea may be formed of the amount of labor bestowed on the examination of them. The proportions of each ticket due to each company are then credited and statements of the same made out and forwarded to the several companies daily. From the two sets of returns forwarded to the clearinghouse, statements of the debit and credit balances are made out weekly. Parcels are treated much in the same way as the goods. Mileage is a branch of service which requires a separate staff of men. There are hundreds and thousands of wagons, loaded and empty, constantly running to and fro, day and night, on various lines to which they do not belong. Each individual wagon must be traced and accounted for to the clearinghouse from its start to its arrival and back again. And not only wagons, but even the individual tarpaulins that cover them are watched and noted in this way. In order that the various companies over whose lines they pass may get their due and that the companies owning them may get their demarrage if they be improperly detained on the way. For this purpose, at every point where separate railways join, there are stationed men in the pay of the clearinghouse whose duty it is to take the numbers of all passenger carriages and goods, wagons and tarpaulins, and make a daily statement of the same to the clearinghouse. As daily returns of all foreign carriages arriving and departing from all clearinghouse stations are forwarded to the same office, they are thus in a position to check the traffic 
detect discrepancies, and finally make the proper entries as to mileage and demurrage in the accounts of the respective companies. Frequently, the charge of one-tenth of a penny per mile for a tarpaulin is divided among several companies in various proportions. For a wagon or carriage from Edinburgh to London, mileage and demurrage accounts are sent out by the clearinghouse to four companies. Formerly, before demurrage was introduced, carriages were frequently detained on lines to which they did not belong, for weeks and even months, until sometimes they were lost sight of altogether. Once a month, the balances are struck, and the various railways, instead of having to pay enormous sums to each other, obtain settlement by a means of comparatively small balances. For example, the London and Northwestern Railway sends its through passengers over the Caledonian Line. The mileage charge for its foreign carriages is three farthings per mile. Small, though that sum is, it amounts, at the end of the month, perhaps to 5,000 pounds. This little bill is sent to the clearinghouse by the Caledonian against the London and Northwestern. But during that same period, the latter company has been running up a somewhat similar bill against the former company. Both accounts are sent into the clearinghouse. They amount together to perhaps some 15 or 20,000 pounds. Yet when one is set off against the other, a 10 or 20 pound note may be all that is required to change hands in order to balance the accounts. The total mileage of lines under the jurisdiction of the clearinghouse and over which it exercises complete surveillance on every train that passes up or down night or day as far as regulating the various interests of the companies is concerned amounts to more than 14,000. The Times, at the conclusion of a very interesting article on this subject, says our whole railway system would be as nothing without the clearinghouse, which affords another illustration of the great truth that the British railway public is the best served railway public in the world and, on the whole, the least grateful. We hope and incline to believe that in the latter remark, the great thunderer is wrong and that it is only a small, narrow-minded, and ignorant section of the public which is ungrateful. Disputed claims between railways are referred to the arbitration of the Committee of the Clearinghouse, from whose decision there is no appeal. The trouble taken in connection with the lost luggage department is very great, written communications being sent to almost innumerable stations on various lines of rails for every inquiry that is made to the house after lost luggage. It is a striking commentary at once on the vast extent of traffic in the kingdom and the great value in one important direction of this establishment. The fact that in one year, the number of articles accounted for to the clearinghouse by stations as left by passengers, either on the platforms or in carriages, amounted to 
156,769 trunks, bags, and parcels. And of these, nearly 95 in every 100 were restored through the clearinghouse to their owners. It is probable that the property thus restored would amount to half a million of money. This reminds us that we left Edwin Gurwood on his way to restore Mrs. Tipps her lost ring, and that, therefore, it is our duty to resume the thread of our story, with, of course, a humble apology to the patient reader for having again given way to our irresistible tendency to digress. End of chapter 22 The Diamond Ring and the Railway Clearinghouse Recording by Sarah Sarai, Las Vegas, Nevada. My website is www.fairyjanes.com. End of the Iron Horse by Robert Michael Ballantyne.